I visited Irene at her home on a balmy day in January. She met me at the front door, and after a short chat, we decided to set up at her kitchen table to talk about the very long life she's lived. In the beginning, you might hear the dishwasher running. I'd already asked Irene if we could turn off the TV, and since it was on the final rinse, I didn't have the heart to request that she stop it. Before I had the chance to ask Irene a question, she told me something that really surprised me. Irene said she was never supposed to live very long. Expected me to live very long in the first place. And I can remember, <laughs> I, well, I'm very fortunate. I had a wonderful sister and a younger brother. There are three of us in my, and wonderful parents, a good Christian home. And we learned very, very young what was right and what was wrong. And we better know, you better do right. So what was, the, what was your earliest memory of your family? Um, your earliest memory as a child? Do you have something that stands out for you? Oh, I had a lot of things stand out. But apparently, when I was a very, very young infant, I had a mastoid infection in my left ear, which left me totally deaf in the left side. And I never, my parents never ever let me dwell on something. Of course, they wouldn't have just an infant anyway, but it was just part of me. That was it, okay? So what do I remember? What do you remember, the, like your earliest memory as a child? I don't know, probably a lot of things I remember, maybe, or I remember being told, but I do remember. <laughs> oh, well, this, our bedroom, my sister and I was upstairs, and you came out the door, and there was a landing, and then the stairs went down, down to the kitchen or wherever. But I remember coming up, and I must have some way fallen, stumbled, because here again, maybe I perhaps was three-ish or a little bit in that vicinity. I don't know age-wise, but about like that. And I was, my dad, I was crying apparently when I got, I rolled, must have rolled down the stairs or something. And my dad picked me up and wanted to know where I was hurting. Not hurt, Mama, I wet my pants. Mama wouldn't like it. Oh, because you were so scared if you tumbled down the stairs. Well, we didn't wet our panties. Gotcha. When you were three. Yeah. <laughs> so what did he do? Oh, I don't know. He loved me because I guess quit crying. I mustn't have been hurt very bad. Oh, I'm sure it was scary. I get scared when I tumble down my stairs. <laughs> Humiliated, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I also remember that must have been that landing someplace, and 
half of the things, I don't know if everything you remembered was very clear, but some of the things were a little here and a little there and kind of put together. But at this, and I think same place, but my sister and I would stand on the top of the uh, roof of this, where it had extended over the uh, porch or shed or kitchen or whatever was below, and we'd wave at the at the train that would be going by. There would be and lovely, lovely people. Uh, men that probably worked on the train or did something, and they always, of course, would like to probably wave at little kids, any little kids. They were, the families were families and took care of them, their families, but took care of other families. When I was very young and growing up, even when I was in high school, uh, and which is certainly more, my memory is more my own memory and, and true. But people took care of themselves and other people. They didn't depend upon the government to do it or the street people or something like that. It's as I watch television and, and read the paper. I don't read because I can't. And now when I say this, I can't read. Oh, well, I can read, but I can't read. Well, you're very okay. articulate, Irene, so I know you can read. I just, you're. Oh, the whole thing goes back to the first place. God has been so wonderful to me, to our families, and I'm eternally grateful, and I want people to know that's where my help comes from. My God is real, real in my soul. So you have a deep faith? Huh? You have a deep faith? I certainly do. Yeah. I, I, I certainly do. And I wouldn't have it otherwise. I love that song. Um, I first heard Pat Boone sing it, but my God is real, real in my soul. He has washed and made me whole. That was one of your favorites? His love for me is like pure gold. When, when you were growing up... And my God is real. Oh. And I'm a Protestant. And I don't care what you are, if you believe in what you, you're, that's your business. And your business about things like that isn't my business. So when you were a young lady growing up, where, where were you living? Were you living here in Washington? No, I was born in Canada. Oh. My sister was born, my sister is two basically two years older than I, was born uh, in Sickle Canyon, Oregon, which is sort of out of 
Well, out of Weston, between, you know, where Hepner and Hermiston. Yes. All over. Near Walla Walla? Uh, back in the Indian times, Umatilla Indians. Yeah. See. Uh, anyway. But you were born in Canada? And my, like I said, my sister was born there. I was born in Canada. Well, they, during World War I, my dad was what later would call conscientious objector. And he went to Canada to work in some mines because they needed coal to make steel or something. Anyway, he said he, he could do that, but he was not, he wasn't out killing the Germans because at that time they, I guess, hadn't really, I don't know, declared war or whatever. That part, I'm not, I mean, I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> Nonetheless, anyway. You were born in 1918? Pardon? You were born in 1918? I was born in 17. You were born in 17? Mm -hmm. uh, May 3rd. May 3rd, a spring baby. Uh-huh, yes. And my brother, younger, nine years younger, is born in California. Brentwood, California. My dad was born in Dayton, Washington. My mother was born in uh, South Dakota. I have to wonder if North Dakota, South Dakota, Sherman, South Dakota, Minnehaha County. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yes. Oh, I lie in bed and think of all kinds of things, but. Irene, how did you meet your husband? How, how did you meet your husband? How did I meet him? Yes. Well, that's another long, everything's a long story. That's okay, we got time. <laughs> My sister, I told you, we are Navy family. Right. My sister was married to a sailor, naval officer, and she was pregnant with her first child. And I had I graduated, I'm not sure. My parents, I wasn't doing anything right now. School was not, was out. It was summertime or something. Anyway, they decided I should go and be with my, because Keel was out at sea and my sister was at Bremerton by herself, shall we say, okay? And that wasn't a good thing. So Irene should go and, and be there, and so I was. Oh, you know, I have, I must have a million guardian angels because, okay, the people at home had this wonderful shower for my sister's first child, and there was a little um, chest of drawers, not not a great big one, but pretty good sized, and plumb full of all these things. And Dad had roped it up real securely, and it was fine. And it came on my bus ticket to Seattle, 
And then I was supposed to get from Seattle to Bremerton. On the ferry? Yes. Oh. Well, so I get to Bremerton, I mean Seattle, not knowing a soul, green as grass. <laughs> Maybe a little greener. <laughs> anyway, how am I going? Well, so I saw somebody down here on the wharf, and I asked him, it was um, somebody hauling with a big truck, yeah, and he'd take me to Tacoma and put me on the, on the ferry to get me over to Bremerton. Well, that's fine with me. I'll get to Bremerton, and I did. Anyway, back how did I meet Ward? Because he was from North Dakota, pure and simple. At that point in time, the ships all had big bands, the big ships. My husband was on the Idaho, and my sister's husband was involved with the Oklahoma before he went on the Astoria. Anyway, um, my sister decided we should go down to Craven Center in Bremerton to this, and listen to the music. She's pregnant, so she's not worried about going to a dance or just going to listen to this beautiful band music because our family, my grandfather, was a wonderful musician. He came, Grandfather Batorf, my maiden name, had two brothers, and uh, Uncle George played what on today's would call a keyboard. And my grandfather played, depending on him, whether he played the violin or the fiddle. If he was playing for a dance or a social event, it was a fiddle. If he played for something church or something fancy, it was a violin. Anyway, um, the younger brother played the cello, Uncle Kurt. So music, music was just part of our life. I remember that more than, more than anything. So you and your sister went to hear the music? And of course, sitting there listening to the music and this cute little sailor asked me to, to dance and that was fine with me and so, yeah. Now Dave, did you? Oh, hi. hi. Liver said somebody was going to be dropping by, but I didn't know who it was. I'm Cher. Cher. I'm actually a neighbor. I live a couple, oh. couple over. I'm, I'm, re I'm recording Irene's uh, story. She's talking oh. to me about her life. Oh, cool. Yeah. This is my younger son. She's telling me right now how yeah. she met your father. Oh. The story. Oh, yeah, she did. She's not quite there yet. She was, she, 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 he, yeah. he just asked you to. He asked me to dance. And then he wanted to know if he couldn't walk me home. Well, so you might as well no, enjoy. I, 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 Come. I, I, I,
Oh. Yeah, oh, it is not raining. He's right. So I want to hear how Ward asked you to dance. Pardon? Pardon? I want to, you're telling me how Ward asked you to dance. Well, we walk, he walked us. He wanted to know if he couldn't walk us home. Oh, you and your sister. And that was a good idea. And the fact is, it was a really good idea, you know. And so came time to go home and, and no, no, no sailor. And my sister and I said, come on. I said, I'm not waiting for him. Oh. So we started. It wasn't probably not too far. And all of a sudden you could hear pat, 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 pat. Here he comes running down the road. <laughs> and we said, and now she had an apartment above a little grocery store. And uh, the stairs go up the back and there's a nice top, sort of like a patio or whatever. Anyway, my sis went in and went to bed and, and uh, I call him Bill because when I met him, he said, you can call me Bill. Okay. And that, to me, he was, and to my family, he was Bill for, well, always, but pretty much. But we sat and talked for a long, long time, so we went back and wrote letters back and forth. What about him did you like? Oh, if I showed you his picture, you'd know. You wouldn't have to ask me. <laughs> Is he very handsome? Well, yes, good looking, twinkly blue eyes, and a beautiful smile, a, beautiful, a lovely smile. Just good looking. Easy to talk to? Must have been. Well, of course, he probably wanted to tell about North Dakota, and that was, was good. After, after you met, did you become a Navy wife? How long was it before you were married? Well, now then, I don't know how long. Let me see. Oh, we were married December 41. Did he have to go off to war? Well, he did. I don't know exactly. I've got a few things tangled up, I think. Anyway, why or how, he must have told me to come to the East Coast. And I remember riding the bus. And All the way across the country? Yeah. How long did that took a week? Day and night, you didn't? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I went to um, Newport, Rhode Island, and uh, but when I got there, the ship had been sent up to Iceland, German submarine, and when they came back down, chased the Idaho all the way down, and they had to go in and get uh, some a little repair work. Uh, someone is classified. Still, after all this time, that's why I think I mix things up on purpose sometimes. <laughs> Nonetheless, it didn't come in, went eventually down to Norfolk, Virginia. Mm -hmm. So he told me to go down there and made arrangements with another sailor whose wife was 
had a car and was going to drive from Newport down to, so we did. And the big excitement of that was crossing the George Washington Bridge in Washington, in New York. Oh, I bet. And anyway. And you were married in Virginia? We were married in <laughs> North Carolina, uh -huh. over the line, South Mills, North Carolina. You were married in a, um, a civil ceremony, or were you in a chapel? Pardon? Were you married in a civil ceremony or a chapel? Where were you married? A justice <laughs> of the peace. Justice civil of the peace. Ceremony. And then he went back on the ship? Well, of course, he was on the Idaho, and the Idaho then came around and went in the South Pacific. And after, well, of course, you know, Pearl Harbor was um, someday, someday, maybe this lion and lamb will come about and they'll survive together. Irene, I was going to ask you, um, after you were married, did you travel around a lot because you were a Navy wife? No, I didn't know. I didn't go over, no, uh, out of the country because you have to know it was basic, still wartime. Gotcha. World War II. I worked. What did you do? Any number of things, but uh, I was trying to put it in the right sequence, but, but it's not, I'm, I'm skipping around. Um, I didn't go to college, but I did take a, a business course by correspondence. And uh, so I worked pretty much, if I could, worked in an office. And that was fine. I did things I didn't know what I was doing. I worked for Acme Freight Lines. My first thing was to make a bill of laden, and I had no idea what a bill of laden was. I don't know what it is either, will you tell me? <laughs> I know it's a bill of something. It's what you're going to purchase or sell on, you know. Okay. And at that particularly, I was back on south someplace. Poor man, man I worked for, head of the office. And it was very nice. Mr. T. E. Body. But the T. E. was for Thelma Evelyn. His family way back had wanted a girl, and they got a boy, and they named him Thelma Evelyn. Oh, no! So he went by T. E. then, I guess. But he was a good person to work for and with. But he had a little, uh, a little older uh, gentleman from the south. I'd sit in the corner, and that's my first play. I saw a cockroach. <laughs> They'd crawl in. He spit tobacco at her, and somebody else would have to come clean that up. I was see now. I was blessed because it didn't didn't bother me. My family, like I said, and it was wonderful, didn't matter if you were black or pink or purple or 
yellow or what you were. So just because this was a colored man didn't make any difference to me. However, I did know when I got on the bus to go someplace, I rode on the white bus, not back here where the colored people rode. I know if I needed to go to the bathroom, you went to the white bathroom. You didn't go to the colored bathroom. But far as I was concerned, the colored people were, there wasn't anything wrong with them. They didn't. <laughs> um, as I tell these things, they sound like fiction, gospel truth. This, <laughs> this little girl child must have been a, uh, something else. My dad, in that area where they lived, the farmers or neighbors took turns going to the closest big town or town to shop for things that they needed. And the, anyway, it was my dad's turn to go, and he did go, and with a list from this guy and this guy and this guy, okay? So Daddy wasn't home, and it was, must be about, maybe about this time of the day, and uh, my mother had gone out to milk the cow, and my sister had gone to sleep, and I was probably at a table. Now, we didn't have electric lights, but we did have a, a, a lamp with a, and I must have somehow able to climb up on the chair oh, no. and get here, and somehow or another, there was something on the table, and anyway, I ended up with the fire. Oh yeah, my sister woke up, ran out and told mom, fire, fire, and by the time mom got in, and because it was Canada and cold up there, Thank goodness I had a, she said, a wool petticoat. They didn't call them slips anyway. She said it was a good thing because it didn't burn as fast. The slip was, or petticoat was burning. My hair was burning. And here again, this house didn't have beautiful clothes closets. There was a a peg on the door, and Daddy had a coat, overcoat or something, and Mother grabbed that and wrapped it around me, smothered the fire, and poured kerosene, kerosene, coal oil, on the burns. Really? And I never had any scars at all from that whatsoever maybe a couple of years, another incident, still a little kid. My mom and another lady friend were going to pick out in the wild. They called them choke cherries, some kind of a 
like a current or right. you know, for a wild berry for jamming anyway okay. and that lady's younger brother who was probably between nine and ten now they wherever they went they went we went in the buggy and we got to this place and there was a corral that the farmers all use. If you watch the Western movie, you know, they have them. Anyway, in this, put the horse and the buggy inside this grill, and it's a nice sandy floor, and put the kids, and she had a nice little lunch and stuff for us to play with, okay. Well, eventually, I guess the boy decided they were taking too long, and he was tired of taking care of two little girls, so he was going to hitch up, and he did, in the buggy, and was hitching the horse, and the horse ran away. Oh, no. And I have a big scar up here. From, yes, you do. And that's from what? From this runaway, because oh, my goodness. apparently, Someplace I got dumped out because I still was maybe, oh, I don't know if I was four. I doubt very. So that scar's 99 years old? That, oh. must have been a sh that must have been a deep cut then. Well, apparently it was down. Mother called them sloughs, but, yeah. you know, this place maybe where it's rained or stayed or what, a lake. It wasn't a lake, but nonetheless, they searched and searched, and the guys all went. Anyway, this is where they, they heard the cows bellowing, and so somebody went to see what the cows were, uh, cattle, range cattle, were bellowing about. And here I am sitting down on the edge of this slough, and my completely soaked with blood from the, I certainly wouldn't remember or know anything, except hearing the cow. I can still hear a cow when, when, uh, when it moves. <laughs> so you you had quite a few tumbles as a child, but did you have a lot of illnesses? Because not many people live to be almost a hundred. Well, you're cruising on a hundred and three now. When I was, by the time, by the time I was ready to go to school. In the spring, we lived in California by this time, my folks and I. I can remember, this I do remember. It was a nice, nice day, and we had planted, well, radish for one thing. Anyway, and we're playing in the water, you know, squirting the hose on each uh, the kids. Anyway, I ended up with pneumonia. Oh, yeah. And uh, here again, it was another one of those iffy things. Uh, I ended up, and at that point in time, and here again, this I do know, the do I can even remember the doctor's name, Dr. Seligman. And he had a little son, Bobby, that w was in the same class I was in if I had gone to first grade, or when I did go. But I ended up with a heart problem and had this 
oh, for quite a little while when I was well enough to be up to go, which to go back to school, I couldn't go out and run and play with the other kids. The teacher had a bench in the sunshine and told, I had to sit, sit on the bench in the sunshine at recess or something, but not, not run around and get it. So this heart problem has pretty followed me the rest of my life. Well, your heart must be doing something right. My angels are. Who are your angels? You've talked about them before. Who are they? Yeah. Well, they're God's helpers, I think. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Or maybe those that have gone before. I don't know. And you've always felt them in your life? Well, you know, here again, and I love this, when we were in California living, I think we'd gone to a circus because we had, oh, it's about the size of the seat of a chair, a, probably a poster, but a picture. And it was blue, a bright, a bright dark blue, shall I say, with kind of silvery color writing on it. And it said, he shall give his angels charge over thee. And I probably asked mother, and she probably explained to me, yes, that we do have angels, and, and they do help us and watch over us. Good angels, and some that might not be so good. I, I grew up, he'll keep his angels watch over the, I, fact is, I know it is, I think the Bible, I think it's in Psalms that you find this verse about, you find it about angels almost in all of them, but that particular one. But we had that beautiful poster. <laughs> I don't know what, maybe when we moved back from, well, we went back from California back to Milton Freewater where paternal grandparents were. And I think uh, grandfather probably needed some help or probably thought he was dying or something. <laughs> my grand, my dad's grandfather, a typical good German ancestry, head of the family, and he ruled the roost. Like I said, he climbed this ladder because his son didn't do something quite as fast as he thought he should. And Daddy was working, so he was going to wait until he got probably have his dinner in the evening and then go down. I, I just, I'm amazed that you've lived 103 years, and I'm amazed that you've been deaf since birth or, or since you were a small child, mm -hmm. and you didn't, you have enough hearing in your other year that you, you didn't need I a, do have a hearing aid. In that one. But, yes, in this one. But you don't need to, you don't, do you read lips? Do you, you didn't have to learn sign language or anything? Pardon? You, you didn't have to learn sign language? You had enough hearing as a child? No. They didn't let me know that there was something different about me. When did you find out you were deaf in one ear? Well, my sister and I, at, at probably at, we went to a old, they used to, um, fortune teller for something and somebody looked and you know it's all fiction I know that now and 
but I didn't at that time. This one isn't going to live for so long. That was you? Yeah, and my sister thought, and so did I. Well, when Steve was born, it almost didn't. You it had a was, hard birth? Yeah. That was an emergency C-section to save the baby and the mother, and so, and David was also born with a C-section. And the dear people, the nurse and the doctor and the husband and the whoever said, you have a tubal ligation, and oh no, I might, because I always thought maybe I'll have a girl someplace here, and, but he said, one mother and, and two babies is better than three babies and no mother, so I signed the paper, so. To, to, for your long-term health. Irene, you've had a lot, and you are just still going strong. That's amazing. My dad taught us your spine is for more than to hang your head on, your hat on. Straighten up and live right. No, my folks, they were strong people, good people. Uh, I told you, we learned right from wrong, and they knew what. Watch my dad's face. Watch his eyes. You know when it's time to straighten up. My dad's eyes could twinkle or he could be very serious. Do you have um, a fond memory in your life, something that you look back on and cherish? About what? About your life. Oh, I think the whole thing is I'm not unhappy with my life. Oh, no, I just meant like a special memory, like something that you think back on that's special to you or a particular happy memory. You know, I think most of them were. That's there amazing. were certainly trials and tribulations, and, and I'm sure, like I said to somebody, some days we laugh and sometimes we cry. Yes, tears were made for a purpose. Don't, don't let it get you down. I, I really don't think. I've had so many, so many lovely people come into my life to think about. And you, do you wake up in the middle of the night just out of the clear blue sky? You're thinking about somebody or something? Sometimes, yeah. Well, it... I do that quite a bit, and that's fine. doesn't bother me in the least. Cause, but one day I thought, oh, wait, this cute little girl back, well, in Newport, Rhode Island. I, you asked me, I worked as a cashier. I got a job in, well, it was a brand new, it's called The Landing. It was a, like a... a 7-Eleven, oh no, more like a, oh, sort of like a restaurant, but not quite. I worked on the counter a little. She, they asked me first when I applied for the job if I knew how. Well, in my hometown, the man that had the drugstore, Mr. Shannon, uh, let me and his daughter, Shirley, behind the counter to make some kind of a, uh, 
Well, ice cream soda, because that was sort of new. Wasn't just a plain old ice cream cone. And so I learned how to do that, and I learned how to make a milkshake in that shake in that nice metal container that you put on the thing. Okay. Anyway, I get back here. They ask me, did I know how to? Oh yeah, I know how. Squeaky wheel gets oil. I got the job. Oh. Well, soon I was the cashier, and I like that was fine. That was. And so the girl that you were thinking of, Pardon? the little girl that you were thinking of, she was from this time in your life? Oh, yes, she was. She was the cutest little thing. I mean, she was older. She wasn't a little girl. She was, but she was small demeanor, and she would just flit around and, and oh, just so happy, so happy. Everything seemed happy. We really and truly, oh my. Oh, aren't you tired of all this? No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated. <laughs> well, my mother and sister and I, my father, well, my dad and his ancestors were, belonged to a club, the Independent Order of Odd Fellows, for one, and also for the Masons, for the other, okay? But the Masons, Milton Freewater, Milton was up here, and Freewater was down here, and they eventually joined and were Milton Freewater, but when we first started, uh, this was free water and that was milk. Okay, the Masons was, and if you wanted to go, you had to go up there, and that must have been, oh, I don't know. If it was a mile, I, I'm not sure how far it was. Um, <laughs> as many times as I walked it. Um, but nonetheless, anyway, this odd fellow thing, this, summertime and my mother had somebody had a bunch of chickens that were raised uh, like here you'd take them to the co-op when they're ready to be slaughtered okay somebody had raised these and mother had bought them and I don't know if they were still alive and my sister's husband Keel and that's K-I-E-H-L. Somebody thought I was saying Keel, some lady once, and she said, oh, thinking about, she said, oh, that girl talking about my sister, she must be married to a Chinaman. <laughs> but I guess I wasn't getting the L on the Keel. Anyway, going back to these chickens, I think Keel was home and had the pleasant job of, of wringing the chicken's neck. And then you had boiling water and you dumped them in there to loosen up the feathers and you plucked the feathers off. And anyway, 
And that was my sister and I and mother's job to pluck the feathers off these chickens and make them nice and clean and ready to be butchered, to be canned in a pressure canner. Okay, but it was a club installation meeting that night. So after we got through with these sticky, wet chicken feathers, <laughs> we got cleaned up and in our formals and trot off to this installation. It's a wonder, <laughs> wonder we stayed awake or stayed up or stayed someplace. But I can still see this wet chicken feathers. Oh yes. You know, I did another thing, talk about being grass green. I was in high school and I wanted a, a little spending money, so I went across town to a variety store, be like a dime store or whatever, run by a tall, tall lady that lived out in the country, Mrs. Hammett. Well, I went to apply for a job to be, to learn to sell pencils or chewing gum or something like that. Instead of that, she gave me a job to come and wash some dishes in the morning. They would have their dinner there in the store, she and her husband, Mr. Hammond, and leave the dishes in the back room. And so on the morning, well, a job's a job, okay? 10 cents a day. So the next morning, well, store's cold, not open. I have to take my own hot water in a bucket. Oh. Take my hot water from home, go to the store, wash the dishes, clean up, go to high school. Well, that went on for a little while. And finally, my dad said to me, Irene, you have to quit. There's no point in you, you're spending more bringing the to clean water. her dishes than you're making. Oh, I quit. And that was hard to, it was very hard for me to quit a job. Oh, she praised me. You do such a good job. You even clean the sink. Well, isn't that part of doing the dishes? Yeah, your dad was looking out for you though, right? He, he knew that you were being taken advantage of probably by oh. that lady. You're 102, almost 103. What else do you have planned for your life? What other plans in my life? <laughs> well, I'm not, I wanna tell you straight off the bat, I don't think I'm senile. I don't think you are at all. <laughs> but some time ago, quite a long while ago, I said, 
and I firmly believe. Well, I think I had listened to some television preachers, shall I say, and be that as it may, they were saying, and here again, you can believe or you don't have to believe. That's everybody's privilege. But they were saying there wasn't a great lot of time that people, that this world was, shall I say, coming to an end. But, but here again, I don't know. That's how you believe, I guess. That's all relevant. But I said to myself, well, if Jesus, and this is what the preacher was saying, that Jesus was going to re-enter the world, and that's fine with me. And I said, oh, that's absolutely wonderful. He's my friend, and I want to see him and talk with him. And I said, but I will... I will want to see his hand. I want to make sure that I see the scars from those nail holes. But I believe. I believe it because I believe. And I think I'm just plain waiting to see Jesus. And maybe they're, I don't know, somebody's taking care of me all along. But you know, and that's very serious. My boys both, and thank goodness, both of my boys, and they've always been good boys, but they believe. How they believe, that's here again. I, they have their, their lives. But my biggest, my biggest disappointment for myself is I'm so pesky, pesky, dreaded, Slow, slow motion. My, my one leg has been, my knee has been out of kilter for a long time. I don't have, according to them, I don't have cartilage in the knee. I don't know. And I had some shots that didn't work or whatever. There's some just aches and pains, and you, you accept them. Maybe rub a little. All of a sudden, the word Ben Gay comes to my mind, but I think that's from my father's era, because I don't know. I don't bellyache about it. Isn't that a horrible word? And, but Irene, being 103, your body's 103 years old, it's, it's bound to have slowed down a little bit. I know that that must be frustrating because your mind hasn't slowed down, but your body has. Well, my mind has slowed down. A little bit, I'm sure. But yes. But you know, oh, well, some of it's perfectly natural. I can remember calling my either one of my kids absent-minded professors. They'd come and say, Mother, do you know where this and so? Oh, yeah, it's right there. I know where it is and how you get to it. And that's what mothers are for, aren't they? To help and support, yes. So this was a cookie, Mom. Oh, I wrote, I wrote this wonderful poem. I thought it was wonderful. Nobody else. I've got it. I've got it. Do you want me to get it for you? Underneath the Kleenex box. I'm going to get it for you, okay? 
I'm gonna just grab the whole stack. Yeah, because I was... Oh, big. here it is. I see it. It says the cookie on it. Right, do you want to recite it or do you want me to read it? Oh, I don't care. The cookie jar is empty. The kids are gone. Precious memories and toughy. He waits for a walk. Our good company. Oh my, look at the clock. Better turn the oven on. Stir up a batch of dough. Soon will be time for the paper boy looking for a treat. And old folks down the street like cookies too. Thank God for all our blessings, Irene. Oh, Irene, that's so beautiful. When yeah, you wrote I, it when you were 101? Yeah, I was, I just had the, well, because I made cookies. Oh, I made cookies. What's your favorite cookies to make? My favorite cookies? Well, they're all favorite, but I think the ones probably I made the most of, and I still, if I was, could see to be, probably oatmeal with fruit in them because they're more nutritious. Boy cookies. Boy cookies. I make um, molasses crinkles is a pretty good favorite, and I think they well, I have, but when I use molasses and I like it, you're from the South, so maybe you do. I love but molasses, I use, Irene. I use grandma's molasses. Yeah, that's one I used to use too, but I used to put it on and my cornbread. I like it mixed in milk, just to drink. Molasses milk, all right. So Irene, I want to ask you, because you had mentioned something the other day, and I meant to ask you, you still watch Seahawks games every week? Oh, yeah, we do watch the Seahawks game. Who's your favorite player? Well, do you have one? I like, I pretty much like them all. Um, I guess, no, I, they used to. I liked it at the time on the defense. They had three guys that when, what's the mouth that went to, Oh, San Francisco. Richard Sherman. Yeah. When he when he did yeah. The mouth. You know. He He's a very articulate uh, man. But I think there was one um The Legion of Boom? Oh I can't remember. So you enjoy a football game too. Of course Russell is isn't. They're all good. It isn't just Seattle, it's Pacific Northwest. Irene says she's lucky, and I'd agree. She's nearly 103, still lives in her own home, and gets around using only a walker. Irene does express frustration by the now slowness of her life. She can remember being so much faster. Irene spoke of childhood accidents, illnesses, dangerous pregnancies, and the myriad of things that can end a person's life early that simply didn't end hers. Maybe Irene's angels are incredibly efficient. During our conversations, Irene has to work her way through over a hundred years worth of experiences. And as she says, they can get tangled. I watched her pause at times and put her hand to her forehead, trying to work out the sequence of her memories. It seemed like a lot to sift through. But what seemed to stick with me in the end was, how can a person fill so many moments? And how do I want to spend the rest of mine? How do you want to spend the rest of yours? If you ever get the chance to meet a centenarian, 
you might find yourself like me, completely awestruck by a human being who has lived to see so much change. <laughs>